morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, such a joy to see you, to be able to worship together with you this morning. And as we uh, continue our time in worship, um, looking at His Word, we have been in a study in the book of Joshua, and we've been making our way through this book. That's what we do here if you're a guest. Just sort of our typical flow of life to be working our way through books of the Bible. And uh, we're near the end. If you've been uh, sitting out, hanging out in Joshua now for, with us for a while and you're thinking, is this is a long book. Uh, just know we only have a few more weeks uh, in these last two chapters of, of this book. But it has been, um, I hope, something very fruitful for you. It's been so fruitful for me personally to study and spend time in God's Word um, looking at this. But um, as we turn to Joshua chapter 22... Uh, we are going to um, see a story of the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord and the unity of the people of God. Um, and even in the midst of uh, hard things and potentially challenging things, that, that um, God's people would fight for that and would um, strive for that. And obviously, um, the events of this week, I don't expect I have to inform anyone that um, our world is in chaos, um, and it's always been that way in some form or fashion, but we see the manifestation of that in a new way this week as uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and as we consider evil, and even as we've looked at the book of Joshua, we've seen those evil kings who conspired against God's people and against God's purposes and plans for the world, God was victorious, but um, the people of God continually sought the Lord. And so it's right that um, we would seek the Lord in the midst of uh, great trial. And when we see evil and it becomes so tangible to us, um, it's a help because we can understand how broken the world is. And I think sometimes in the blessing of God's kindness to us and his grace in our country and in this world, we sometimes can forget um, how broken the world is. And so even as we grieve the brokenness that we're watching and seeing unfold before us on the news, um, the Lord is kind that he allows us to come to him um, and ask for his hand to be upon it and to move. And so um, it's right that we would seek the Lord. And we talk often about doing that and how we do that. And God has given us multiple means to seek him, first through his word, through his people, but then also through prayer. Um, and if we forget to pray, uh, we are making idols of ourselves considering that we have all the answers or we can figure it out on our own rather than turning our hearts to the Lord and asking for him to intercede. And so I want us to spend some time um, this morning before we dive into Joshua chapter 22 um, just to pray and to ask for God's help in the world and specifically for the Ukrainian people um, that are facing such devastation. And yet um, I know of um, pastors who are gathering with their church this morning, prepared to proclaim God's word to their people because they know that Jesus is king and they understand how vital it is. Let that be an encouragement to us who sometimes can slip away from that routine and that practice because of the ease of our lives, um, how important it is. But let's um, just turn to the Lord and I'm just gonna lay some things before us and as there's silence, I wanna invite you to just pray. Um, just seek the Lord um, through just your own private prayer um, and ask for God's help. Um, and uh, let's ask the Lord. Let's trust the Lord that he um, can and will move um, in our midst. Sometimes when we don't know what to pray, which this is a condition that I sometimes don't feel like I know what to pray, we talk about returning to God's word. And so 
one of the Psalms that has guided my heart in prayer these last few days is Psalm 69. And so I'm gonna reference that as we pray for the people of Ukraine. Pray with me. God, I believe that you are sovereign over all things, that you are good, that you are working out your plan of redemption and making all things new, even now. Even when I don't understand it, I don't know why you stay your hand of justice in this moment, but I acknowledge that you are God, that I'm not, and that your purposes cannot be thwarted. And so even as we pause this morning to lift up people that we don't know personally, but that you know intimately, we just acknowledge that you are a big God who's able to take all of our questions, all our concerns, all of our brokenness, we can lay it before you. Your word tells us to cast our cares upon you, our burdens upon you, and we'll see that you care for us in those moments. And so we do that now. We do it on behalf of the people of Ukraine. We cry out to you, what we assume they cry out to you, save them, God. Where the waters have overwhelmed them, where they feel as if they're sinking deep and there is no foothold to stand upon where the flood waters are washing over them, would you hear their cries? Would you be attentive to their need? We lift up all of the people of Ukraine who are hurting, who are grieving, who are confused, who are separated from family. And we pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them and be a God of comfort and tenderness to them in these days and weeks and even months ahead. Father, we pray for families that have been separated or even destroyed because of war. Husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters separated, Lord, as they have sought refuge and left behind their loved ones to fight against evil. Father, Lord, I can't comprehend what that would feel like. So I just lift them up to you, Lord. And we pray for peace generally, but specifically in this moment, we pray for peace for those families that are grieving loss, grieving separation. Father, we do pray that you would protect the people of Ukraine. You would protect them from the attacks, the bombs, the bullets that are flying, those very real things that destroy human life. We pray 
your protection over them. We pray that you would send your angels to guard them. In some supernatural way today, God, might they feel your comfort. Father, we pray for President Zelensky, his cabinet, the leaders of that country. We pray that you would grant them wisdom. Even as it seems as potential talks between Ukraine and Russia might happen soon, we pray that peace would come to that region, to our world. use these men as tools in your hands. Father, we do pray against evil. We pray specifically for President Putin that you would break down the walls that surround his heart that have compelled him to attack another sovereign nation. We can't know what is going on in his heart and mind, God, but we trust that you are sovereign even over him, that no leader reigns outside of your allowing him to do that. We pray in some miraculous way, Lord, that you would Lead him into repentance. Cause him to stay his hand, to withdraw his armies. God, we thank you for the church. Thank you that even now your church your people are bringing much honor and glory to your name in Ukraine, even in Russia. They're our brothers and sisters gathering together to worship you and to seek your face just as we are doing now to seek and ask for your peace to come. As we cry out again as the psalmist cries out to answer us, Father, Hear our prayers. We pray that you would give sustaining strength to pastors and believers in the Ukraine. Pray specifically for the church in Lviv, their church plant in Brokovici, these saints who are staying in their country so that they might minister to the hurting and the grieving. Would you bless them? Would you just allow them to do the work you've called them to do? May it bring you much glory. Thank you for the testimony of these brothers and sisters. 
Thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of very dark days, many people will say that the world is out of control. Many people will say that everything is lost. And yet you, Jesus, are building your church even in their midst. What an amazing testimony to your power, to who you are. And so we thank you. We pray that you would continue to do that. You would use these saints to just share the hope. We trust just as we, from a distance, are confused and are hurting on behalf of people that most of us might have no idea who they are. We trust that your people who live in the Ukraine, who live in Russia, who are following you, who are seeking you, Lord, they are doing a great work and you will, you will use them in a powerful way. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that you will win the day. We thank you, God, that you are victorious even when it seems that there's no hope. So we join our brothers and sisters all around the world asking you, Father, to not hide your face from us. As we are in distress, make haste to hear our prayers. Draw near to us. Redeem us. Give us hope. We pray in the beautiful, in the victorious name of Christ. Amen. If you'd like, you can turn to Joshua chapter 22. As I said, we're going to look at this story of God's people who are sent home and then told and instructed about how important the unity of God's people is and why and how they should fight for that. And um, if you're a a guest with us, we're going to move rather quickly Uh, through this text this morning um, in this chapter, but to catch you up just in case you haven't been with us through our study in the book of Joshua, um, where we find ourselves is God's people were promised this land. Um, They were told they would receive it all the way back from Abraham. God told Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations, that he would give him a possession, a land to possess, and his people would live there on this land that we know as Israel. And so he's promised them this and given them this hope. And over many years, through many trials, they are finally now in possession of this land. They have taken hold of that. And as we looked at Joshua 20 and 21, God is now sort of uncovering or unpacking his plans for how they should live in this land. Now that I've blessed you with this and given you this inheritance, you have a land that is your own, what are you supposed to do? How are you to live in that? And so in 20 and 21, we saw some of the ways that he did that. And here in 22, there's a little bit of a turn as there's some more travel that's going to take place. In 22, we read of two and a half tribes of Israel. We know there was these 12 tribes of Israel, and each one of them had an allotment of land. But two and a half of those tribes, they had already previously been allotted land. The the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh, they are sent home. And so what happens here in 22 is that they come to Joshua and they say, we were promised land on the east side of the Jordan. We're done fighting now that there is 
possession and you're living here, we're ready to go back home to the land that God had already promised us. And so they're going to return back to their land. And if we pick up in Joshua 22, verse 1, this is exactly what we see recorded for us. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that, the Mo- that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you've been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. They came to the aid of their brothers. They have stood with them in all of these battles, and now again they're going to be sent home. And now, verse 4, the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua says, you're ready to go home. And as I send you home, this is what I charge you to do. I charge you to remember faithfully all that God told you to do, all the commandments that he gave you. Those commandments are recorded by Moses in Deuteronomy and other places that he recounted to the people of Israel. Do everything and remember, be very careful to observe these commandments and to love God and to walk in his ways, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he sends them back, and as they are preparing to go back, he tells them they're going to enjoy the blessings of all that God has promised them. And as they enjoy these blessings, the only thing that they have to do is remember to be obedient. Don't forget, you're going to enjoy all of these things. You're going into the rest that God has promised you. Now, as you go into rest, just remember, just serve the Lord. Give him everything. Your whole life, your whole heart and soul is his. So, everything sounds great. They're being sent home. Peace is going to reign. But in verse 10, we come face to face with the challenge, the problem that these people are going to face and what they're going to bring. So in verse 10, it says, excuse me, when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan and an altar of imposing size. Not just any altar, but an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. So they're sent home, and on their way home, they erect an altar right on the east or the west side of the Jordan. Before they cross back over to their land, they build this altar, and not just any altar, but an altar of imposing size. Now this is perhaps you're thinking to yourself, Great, they've been building altars before. Israel's been wandering around the desert. They make these memorials and all these things. What could be the problem? We don't see much of a problem here, but one of the things that we know is that Israel does have a problem because we read the next verse in 12 says, And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Whoa, why would they be determining to make war against these people for building an altar to God? Well, the reason is found in Deuteronomy 12, that commandment, one of the commandments that God had given to his people was that they were to worship God in a specific place in the tabernacle that had a a very clear location and instructions on how they were to follow through with that and how the priests were to lead the people into worship. 
And so when they find that they're building this altar, and not just any altar, but an altar of imposing size, the Israelites that are remaining, as they hear of this, they are thinking to themselves, they've slipped into the way of the Canaanites. Because the Canaanites had a sort of a history and were known to erect all sorts of things to their pagan gods. And so these that are remaining think to themselves, Joshua told them to be very careful to observe the commandment, and they didn't do this. They've slipped in and they've assimilated into the ways of the Canaanites just on their short journey back across the river. And this is such a grievous issue that they determined they would make war against their brothers. When they hear of it, these again, remember, these are the people who had just finished serving side by side with their brothers, making war against all of the enemies of God's people, and now they've been released from that duty, and now as soon as there is this possibility that they're building this altar, the people of Israel are determined to make war against their brothers. We might think to ourselves, that seems a little bit drastic, don't you think, Joshua? (laughs) Why would that be the response that is required? Well, in verse 13 and following, we get a little bit of a picture as to why they take this so seriously. The people of Israel, they gather their chiefs and tribes described in the first few verses. And then in 16, here is what they say. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? So you've built something that is in rebellion against God's commandments. You haven't been careful to follow the Lord. And then they describe, have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord then t- today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. So here is where the problem comes. The Israelites understand. They remember this sin they address at Peor. That's recorded in Numbers. And it's a story of disobedience of God's people that leads to God's judgment. And they're still suffering from it because a plague was issued against God's people. And there's still people even in their midst that are suffering and have struggles related to that issue. We don't have to even go that far back. We can know, and it's addressed here, that in Joshua, you might remember the sin of Achan. Achan sinned against the Lord by taking the spoils of war, those things that God said, take nothing for yourselves. Don't do anything for yourselves. Just go in, wipe out everything, destroy everything in the city. Don't take anything. Achan didn't do that. He thought to himself, man, I've been living on manna for way too long. I need a little something good to eat. I need some gold. And so he took some for himself and his family. And ultimately, in both these cases, the sin of Peor, Achan that is here in the story of Joshua, we know that this sin is not just something that is isolated to themselves, but they realize that what these people have done could bring judgment of God upon all of the tribes, all of the people of Israel. And so they take this very seriously. They are ready to go to war against their brothers to protect and to guard against God's judgment on, their, on his people for this disobedience. So the Reubenites then respond. So they come and they confront this issue amongst the people. And this is what the Reubenites say in verse 21 as they respond to this charge against this sin. Then the people of Reuben, the people of God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families, the mighty one, God the Lord, 
the mighty one, God the Lord. They're testifying just in that statement, by the way, that they are not drifting from their worship of the Lord. All of Israel would understand, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this testimony that there is one God who they worship, the one true and living God. And as they respond using this language, they are saying to the Israelites, trust us, we are not drifting from our worship of the one mighty God. He knows, and so now let us tell you what is on our hearts. If it was rebellion... We are in breach of faith against the Lord. Do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. If we've done something that is sinful against the Lord, don't spare us. Go ahead and destroy us right now, they say. Or if we did it to, so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. If we've done this wrongly, let the Lord take vengeance. No, here in verse 24 is their explanation. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. And so the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, not in a offense to Deuteronomy 12, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in the time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought... If this should be said to us or our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. So the problem is clarified. The people of Israel think these two and a half tribes that have departed from their presence or are going to their homeland, have drifted off into complacency and have forgotten the commandment of Joshua to follow very carefully what God instructed. They then say, no, this isn't at all about that. It's actually so that we might remain unified in who we are. And here is where we see this amazing picture. And intentionally, God records this story with some irony. Notice what Joshua's commandment was to all of the people of Israel. And to these tribes as they are departing from them. Be careful to obey the commandments of the Lord, it says in verse 5. And what that means, what does this obedience do or testify to? It says to demonstrate the love that you have for the Lord and to walk in his ways, to serve him with all your heart and soul. Their obedience to that, their careful obedience was an act of worship. That's what Joshua was saying. As you go out in your life, be careful to live lives completely devoted to him in worship of him. Now we flip this around in the two and a half tribes that have departed. What is their concern? Their concern is that as they go across the river and now there's this physical divide, which is a natural divide, and in that context of time, those divisions could cause people to separate and forget who they are and forget the unity that they once had. They want to ensure that they erected this altar so they could point to future generations and say, we worship God. We worship the same God. We are unified with you. Because they know the way of man is to forget. I'm not sure many of you might be much better than I am, but I know quite a bit about my grandfather. I lived with him for quite a bit of time in my life. I know 
ever so slightly about my great-grandfather. I know absolutely nothing about the guy before him. And about six or seven generations before that, I know that he, I think he made hats. That's what I was told by my grandfather. How easy is it for us to forget? We forget generation after generation. One of the things, by the way, that should teach us, we think we need to make so much of ourselves, they're going to forget every single one of us. No one will remember anything. Another testimony that only God and his kingdom will survive forever. So don't try to make much of your name because it'll be forgotten within two generations. But, sorry, I know that wasn't very uplifting, but it's just the truth. (laughs) It's the reality. And these people, they understood that as they separated this time and then generations pass, they're going to think there is a divide amongst them, but it's their heart of wanting to continue to be able to worship the Lord as God instructed them to worship that they wanted to erect this altar. So as we think about this, we can see that this is, there's some application. First, in verse 30, Phineas, who is the priest of the chiefs, who's talking to the congregation, he describes what is happening, and he says at the end of his speech, in verse 31 exactly, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. So that challenge that was brought to the people, the two and a half tribes that were built, had built this altar, they say, no, that's not exact. that wasn't at all what was happening. We were looking to be obedient. We were being careful to be obedient to the Lord. And he says, we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed a breach of faith and you have now delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Only God can build the type of unity that sustains his people. That's why it's such a beautiful thing. And I talk about this so often, and sometimes I think you probably think to yourself, well, that's because he you know, is a pastor, that's because he works at the church, all of those sorts of things. But what God is doing as he brings his people together in this local body, it's a beautiful thing, and I marvel at it because only God could do that. Only God brings unity where there is no reason other than the gospel and what Christ has done to unify our hearts. Further, we have to be careful to guard our own hearts because we live in a world, we live in a context that's constantly striving to pull us away. Just as Joshua was concerned that those two and a half tribes, as they separated from the larger community of faith, they might drift off, we have to be careful to guard our hearts because we too are so prone to wander. We're prone to look at things through only the lens that we see our lives through. And so, notice what Joshua said. Be very careful to observe the commandments. Have you ever thought of that? Be very careful to worship the Lord, to be obedient to what he has called you to be. Is that something that you think of with caution? It should lead us to realize how attentive we must be to our own hearts, to our own sinfulness. This is why also that we can see in this story, as the Israelites came to the two and a half tribes, they were concerned and they were on guard for their people because they realized these people could be drifting off. They could be assimilating into the life of the Canaanites. And so they're on guard for one another. And it's only through this unity that they experience as they live their life together, they now are on guard for one another. We guard our own hearts. We also are on guard for one another. But there is something that this requires, and this is probably one of our greatest struggles, especially here at home. That requires 
vulnerability, friends. That requires transparency. That requires us living lives together in such a way that we know the sins and the struggles that we each have. What's our natural inclination in our flesh? If there is sin, which there is, and we all know our own struggles, we know what we deal with the most, in those things we want to withdraw, we want to hide, we want to tuck away, and we want to put on whatever mask we can to portray, especially to our believing friends, that we've got it all figured out. Can you just think about that for a moment, the irony? We are all here together, most of us in this room, I would say, testifying that we cannot do it on our own, that we need Christ alone to secure our relationship with God. And yet, in that knowledge that that's what we're here to do, we will hide from one another and put masks on our faces to portray ourselves as better off than we're not. Isn't that amazing? That's why we said when we started this church from the very beginning, one of the phrases that just rolled off our tongues over and over again, and we need to continually remind ourselves is it's okay to not be okay. But we have to be in community with one another. We have to live our lives together so that we can foster that vulnerability. And yes, you, not, you don't ask for vulnerability. You know, we will do that. We have to give that vulnerability to one another. It's an act of we spend time together. My son, many of you know my boys. My oldest son, this last couple of weeks, has spent time singing and dancing on a stage. Nobody laughs, so that's really bad. There's three of y'all that know Grayson well enough, that's my oldest son, know that Grayson singing and dancing on a stage, and y'all probably thought I was getting vulnerable there. That's probably why you didn't laugh. You're like, oh boy, what's he saying now? No, he's singing and dancing on a stage. As uh, uh, You would know that those two things, that, you, that didn't happen. That's not Grayson. That's not how he's wired to do that. That's not something that he does. But he has been doing this as a part of a group at his university. He's in a fraternity, and his fraternity has been participating at an event there, and they get up on stage, and last night we had the opportunity. That's why I have no voice, by the way, because I was screaming and hollering for my kid. But they got up on a stage, and they sang and danced. They performed this amazing routine. And why would somebody who has no willingness, if you, again, if you know him well, you know that ain't him. The guy doing that, that's not the way he rolls. He's very reserved, very shy, very quiet. Why? Because he found himself safe in a community of people that were all sort of going in the same direction and encouraging one another and fostering that a willingness to be vulnerable and step out of a comfort zone and into life in such a way that he had an amazing time. Now, that's a silly illustration, but it is a picture of what the church is called to do as we spend time, as we live our lives together in community with one another, getting vulnerable with one another. If you've been around for a little bit of time, you've heard us talk about fight clubs here at this church. Fight clubs is just a group of people, a small group of people getting together to open God's word and to fight for the gospel to be true in each other's lives and to fight against sin. That requires that vulnerability. And we see that pictured as the people of God said, no, we're not here to try and erect an altar of ourselves. We're trying to worship. We want to ensure. And these are, we know the temptation. We know the future and what it could look like. Have courage. Have enough courage to place yourself in harm's way to share your life with someone else. I know it's scary because you're worried that you're going to get trampled upon. And maybe you have some times where that has happened to you. But in the Lord's kindness, he can bring you into a place of community where you are able to share your heart vulnerably and transparently and find that people are there right with you to come alongside you, to spur you on in the faith to remain 
carefully obedient to the Lord, to worship God with all that we are. Finally, we see that unity with our brothers and sisters is vital, perhaps most important. Look at both sides of this story again in Joshua. Those that were concerned that the two and a half tribes were sinning against the Lord and were going to bring condemnation, they went to them because they said, hey, we got to talk about this. We need to deal with this. This isn't going to go well for any of us. You're going to get killed. We're going to get killed. Let's kind of figure it out. The other, that, the other side of the coin, they realized, no, we need to share what's happening and our fears about being separated from one another. And so they had to fight and strive to make sure they remain unified. And again, only God, it says, as Phineas testified in verse 31, God allowed that to happen. As we look at the world around us, not just in this week, of course, with so much evil being on full display, but I fear that one of the greatest challenges over the last few years is that we see unity existing in every other place but from within the church. We see people rallying around any cause, the cause of the sexual revolution, the cause of the pandemic, the cause of a political party. All these causes will divide us and we kind of isolate ourselves from one another. But the beautiful thing, this is what the church is. We are unified under the banner of Christ, under the truth of Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us who that statement is not true of. And yet, even though we have fallen short of the glory of God, Christ in his mercy laid down his life for us to create for himself a people who would live carefully obedient lives of worship to him. Why? To bring glory to his name. We are a people who've been built by Christ to bring glory to his name. And that unity that can divide us just as the potential for division was created here was something that the people of God have to be attentive to. Are we being pulled away from one another and forgetting our unity in Christ, causing division? If that is the case, and that happens all the time, we have to fight for it. This is why we began our time together looking at Philippians chapter three. Paul writing to the church in Philippi, explaining that there are all of these things that can divide the people of God. Verse 18, many of whom I've told you before and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of what Christ has done. They're gonna meet their destruction. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven and from it, from knowledge of that citizenship, of that hope that we have, we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. And when he does, he will transform these lowly bodies into a glorious body by his power. And it's the same power that allows him to put everything into subject of himself. In verse one of chapter four, this is the application. Therefore, because of that, because we know who we are in Christ, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy my crown, stand firm. Be careful to follow the Lord. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is what we must do. To close this morning, as you can tell, we're going to receive from the Lord's table. And as we receive communion this morning, I want to invite you to just consider 
your own heart just to pause before we come and take the elements to pause and sort of examine your own heart. This is what the scriptures tell us to do. Paul in the First Corinthians and giving instructions and passing on what he received from Christ. He tells the church in Corinth to examine your heart and to not take from the Lord's table in a, in a, in a way that would bring judgment upon yourself. And what he means by that is, is that we don't remember what Christ has done. We don't know and understand the hope of Christ that we have, what the gospel has done for us. And so as the band is going to lead us in a song. I just want to encourage each and every one of us to spend a few moments in prayer. Ask the Lord. Examine your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you profess faith in his finished work on the cross, this is what we're doing. We are reminding ourselves of what Christ has done on our behalf. We sang, I have nothing on my own. We now act and respond to that by saying we have everything because we have Christ. He has laid down his life for us. And so the bread and the juice, those are symbols that remind us of his broken body, his shed blood for you and for me. That's what we are doing when we receive communion. We're reminding our hearts of what is true, reminding our hearts of what Christ has done for us. And my hope would be that if we ponder that carefully, how can we not act with worship? Say, Lord, my whole life is yours. Everything in me is yours. You deserve it all. As it says in 1 Corinthians, don't come in a, in a way where you've sort of rejected Christ You'll bring judgment. And what that means, let me just explain that to you really quickly. It means that when we come and take from the Lord's table, we're remembering, as I just said, what Christ has done. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is not just some religious routine that we're practicing here. This isn't just something that we do sort of out of habit. I want to encourage you, even plead with you in this moment as we spend a few moments quietly before we receive Know that apart from God, we have nothing. But through Christ, he has secured for us eternal life and a life of abundance even today. And so as you come and look at these symbols, the bread is the symbol of Christ's body on a cross, broken for us to take the penalty, to pay the rightful penalty for sin for me and for you. That's what we're remembering what we're acknowledging. His blood sealed the covenant that he made with us that says that we will have life everlasting. And it was shed. It's a, his covering over us. Reminds us, you may remember the story in Exodus where God's people were to, told to paint blood over their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over them. We are unified and are sitting underneath the blood of Christ, recognizing he is our only hope. And so if you found yourself struggling in life and not sure what to do with God, not sure, you're kind of curious, you're here, you're like, I don't know about, I'm not even really sure about this Jesus guy. Well, I just want to encourage you to consider what he has done for you and know in his grace, in his mercy, there is no sin, there is no distance between you and God that he has not covered through his sacrifice. It is the final sacrifice and the only sacrifice that God required. 
Hebrews talks about that Jesus sat down after making this sacrifice for us. And so I just ask, would you let today be the day of salvation? Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, would you listen and hear from him? And then come and receive from the Lord's table and let it, it'll be the greatest day of your life as you rejoice in what God has done for you. You didn't do anything for yourself. We aren't able to do that. Only God can do that. And Christ has done that for us. And so that's what we celebrate. And we celebrate that as the body, a unified body. And even we celebrate that as a unified body with all believers for all time spread out all over the world. Even those brothers and sisters this morning in Ukraine who are gathering to worship God. Lord Jesus, I pray your spirit would go ahead of us in these moments. Let us hear from you. For anyone who is far from you this morning, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Draw them close to yourself. Assure them of your grace and your mercy, your love for them. Tear down the walls that have been built around their hearts that they've guarded in sort of, in some self-protective me mechanism perhaps. Let them run to you, Jesus. And for all my brothers and sisters in this room who've put their hope in you, Lord Jesus, as we receive from your table, let us remember the sacrifice that you made for us and let, us, let it cause us to be people who live lives of total obedience and worship in all that we do. Do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.